Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I'm joined today, and as always, by this this white walker over here from Game of Thrones, Mr. Jason Johnston Yellen. Hey, Jason. It doesn't work for the listeners, but I'm wearing my finest Westland plaid. That's so true. Look at Anna, you've got your plaid on. Tyler, you've got your plaid on. Jess, you're striped. As always. <laughs> and I'm wearing my pink, my, my signature pink. Anyway, I'm, out, I'm always joined by Jason, but I'm not always joined by Jess Lomas, who flew here all the way from Glasgow to be with everybody here. I like the way you've made that sound like I personally, personally flew here myself under my own steam. Not that I paid some people to transport me here. <laughs> Our arms yes. are so tired. <laughs> Take my wife. Uh, and then we've got Anna Hins. Can you give us? Yeah, let's hear yeah. it. Let's hear it for reals. Yeah, what's, what's your title, Anna? Sure. Uh, my title is Business Development Manager. And how do you say your name? Anna Hins. Don't give Joshua any credit, please. Please. We've got to live with him for the next 90 minutes. Don't give him any credit. And then, of course, we've got Mr. Tyler Peterson with us. Hey, everybody. Nice to meet you. <laughs> so who is who's, uh, the distillery manager here at Westland? Distillery manager and uh, now master distiller. As of master this week. distiller. So basically, whiskey royalty oh, is what's happening. Wow. So we, we've got a few things going on. Uh, on your table, you will have three different pours. Uh, the first one. <laughs> what I, fell was our emergency escape plan. <laughs> so if something happens, just mill about. The photographer came in real hot. Real hot. Don't tell Matt. <laughs> Uh, so, so you've got three pours here. You've got uh, Westland's, you know, flagship product, the, the American Single Malt Whiskey, which hopefully everybody knows. Hopefully everybody owns a bottle or two or three and shares it. This, it's a whiskey that Jason and I talk about as being, you know, in the top five American whiskeys to have on your shelf at all times. We've also got the Garyana 8, which was released today, right? Today, yeah. That's super exciting. Yeah, this is extremely exciting, yeah. <laughs> remember, remember the 5th of November. And then, and then finally, the, the third whiskey. British listeners I was are fucking say, loving that. <laughs> fucking loving and it. People Jason who like and I to are the only two people in the room who got that. <laughs> and, and, then, and then our third whiskey will be a single cast nation pick, which is yet to be released. Uh, and this was a, a nine-year-old peated in Pinot de Chiron cask, which we can, which we can talk about in a little bit. But firstly, I, I, I'd love to, I'd love us first and foremost to get a little liquid over our lips. Let's dig into into the Westland flagship. Just have a sip, enjoy. And, and if you wouldn't mind, Tyler, could you talk about this because? You know, Jason and I, our experience, and likely the experience of the audience here and, and those who listen, became quite familiar with Westland having three core products, right? Mm -hmm. your, your, your flagship, your peated, and your Oloroso. And, th and then that went away. And then you've gone ahead and you've seemingly Voltroned 
those three whiskeys. Yeah, Voltron is a great way to describe that um, because it is really an, an assembly of, of things that are on their own very powerful, uh, pretty nimble, and able to take down you know small foes. But when you want to <laughs> really team up and take on the bigger monster, you need yeah. you, you need to assemble like Voltron, and that's that's what we've got in our glass. So yeah, it is a representation of those three expressions. Um, uh, kind of um, constructed as one. You've got the, the classic five malt grain bill that provides some of that waffle cone note, a little bit of a chocolatey, um, like dark baker's chocolate element to it on the finish. Um, all of our whiskeys are fermented with that Belgian Saison Brewer's yeast, so you get a little bit of that orange marmalade and a bright kind of uh, berry uh, syrup kind of note to it. But the, the sherry cast, the Oloroso sherry cast mm. that's here, wraps all of that up. Uh, and gives it just a nice, luxurious mouthfeel. Um, a little bit of, as we were kind of talking about, there's a, a, a hint of a silver element there that is just enough to provide some depth and backbone to the, the whiskey itself. There you go. Yep. While, um, and then the peated, there's a peated element there. So we folded in some of the peated uh, whiskey that we make, the Baird's Heavily Peated, which is some of our most favorite whiskey that we produce here. Um, and we wanted to, to kind of combine all of these so that one, the, when we were approaching someone at, at the bar or uh, the retailer, we had one kind of single entry point mm. to, to kind of engage with people rather than saying, okay, here's three things. You know, a lot of what we do is there's, there's some complexity to it. Yeah. And so we wanted to be able to make the, the initial engagement with, with our, our fans a little bit easier, a little bit easier to talk about and really just easy to consume. Tyler. When you go from retailer visits or distributor visits and you're trying to encapsulate what the sherry delivers and what the American oak delivers and what the peat delivers, do you think there was a demand or requirement to have a singular moment? And as somebody, there's a two-part question, I should have led with that. And as, as somebody who's been leading this charge for the better part of a decade on behalf of American single malt whiskey, do you think, it's gonna be a little bit of a controversial word here, but do you think there's an error in showing everything your distillery can do? And that the real takeaway is that singular moment where you say, here's what we do whole cloth as a distillery, as opposed to piecemeal? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I think Thank you. The, the kind of spectrum, and you're, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> this guy gets me. The, the, the spectrum of that timeline of, of us developing as a, as a whiskey distillery and the category growing as well, and, and whiskey drinkers and their knowledge drinking, um, initially you'd go into a, a liquor store and the demand from us as whiskey makers was to show people what we could do, what we were capable of, yep. that we could make different styles and do it on a, on a level that was kind of of the world class. Yeah. Um, and so that was great right out of the gate, but we quickly learned from people that that's still, in American single malt whiskey is still a growing category and still something that can be hard mm. uh, to really digest. And so in order to offer someone something that was a little bit more accessible, we could still talk about all yeah. of the things that we were doing well within those styles of spirit, but then to talk about how how we were making and approaching whiskey as blenders, yep. um, not just as distillers um, and what was going into the barrel. And yeah, so it, sure. it offers us another 
um, kind of segue into kind of what the future of Westland is, right? In looking less about distilling everything under the sun mm -hmm. and trying to find something with more meaning. Um, and, um, and yeah, I don't know that the right approach is to always the 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 brewer's craft model, right? Where you have an IPA, a double IPA, a porter, <laughs> a stout, a sour, and you have like 13 beers on draft, right? That I don't know that that's always going to work for distillers as they want to scale up and grow their business, and especially in in the whiskey world where um, you have to have a lot of focus on the things that you're doing in, yeah. in order to do it right. So yeah, it's, it's the approach that we've taken. I don't know it's always going to be the right approach for everybody else, but certainly one that we found a lot of value in and in, in realigning what we're doing. And now we're looking forward in, into some new offerings and, and how we can kind of expand and build off of the stepping stones that we've, we've built for ourselves. So one of the things that listeners of the podcast uh, enjoy, and we've got multiple listeners of the podcast amongst us here, is transparency. And when we have producers on, transparency becomes the name of the game. Are you finding success with that flagship? Are you happy with how flagship is being received nationally and perhaps internationally? Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, we're pretty darn proud of it. I mean, it's got... <laughs> uh, to, to say that without smiling or laughing is, is hard because it, it's taken a lot of work to, to realize where mm -hmm. we need to be and where we want to go. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it's got recognition is, you know, the 96 points of Chairman's Trophy and 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 all of the other uh, the awards that it's been racking up lately yeah. is, is pretty astonishing. And it is something that is dramatically different from how the construction of single malt has been uh, made for hundreds of years in Scotland and, and worldwide, right? Um, when you think about less about efficiency and more about the construction of flavor and using specialty malts or a new yeast strain or mm -hmm. American oak, mm -hmm. all of those things um, are just dramatically different to how whiskey is made. So the fact that this expression is out there and is now kind of leading the charge for the category itself, it's, it's a product that deserves to be on everybody's back back bar so that when you can yeah. tell someone, okay, here's some Japanese whiskey and here's what the American folks are doing. Well, that's one of the things that I've loved about this whiskey. You know, when years ago, people would approach me and say, what's a whiskey I should try? Quite often it was Highland Park 12 or, or something like that. And, and partially because it ticked all the boxes, right? It had sweetness, it had spiciness, there was a bit of smoke and, and this is doing all of that. And I think what it does too, and there's a lot of work to be done. I'm sure people in the crowd here see this quite a bit, like where are you gonna find Westland on the shelf? Sadly, sometimes you see it in the bourbon section. <laughs> Hopefully, if the shop owner are doing the things right, you know, there's a, a world whiskey section, or as the category grows, maybe American single malt selection comes in. But, you know, it really is a nice way to say, here's something that really ticks all of the boxes as a nice all-rounder and a good representation, and that's why I consider it, you know, to be top five on my, on my shelf. Yeah, thank you. Um, and it's one of those whiskeys, right, where I, I've been on the other side of that wall for the past 10 years, you know, running the mash tun or running the stills or helping those guys uh, get what they need to, to make the whiskey. And so I've started to get out from behind that wall and on this wall and talking with, with you guys and other people out in the market. And what I, what I ask people is, or what I'm learning to ask people is, what's the most compelling whiskey on your personal shelf? You know, think about that. Mm. What, what's there that, you th that, that gets you off of your chair to go grab a dram? Yeah. 
And whatever that is, I'm going to probably find a way to link it back to what's in our flagship whiskey. Yeah, yeah. If, if you like the, the flavors of fermentation, well, what's going on here with the Belgian Saison yeast, that's, that's wildly unique and interesting. If you like maturation, okay, let's talk new American oak or sherry, sherry maturation. Um, and, and there's all these different avenues and fl flavor profiles, which I can tie back, even if you're not a single malt drinker, if you like bourbon, right? Yeah. There's enough sweetness and caramel vanilla from that American oak that you can then drive someone there and say, here's a bridge to the world of single malts. So it's, it's a great whiskey for a lot of those reasons. So I was going to ask that question. How do you bridge that gap from a bourbon drinker to an American single malt drinker? You know, the person who's like, who just loves big oak, big sweet. How do you bridge that gap? What's that conversation look like? Yeah, yeah. I mean, hopefully you can do it blind, right? You don't even have to do a conversation. You can just get the, the whiskey into the glass and then huh. lead it from there. Yeah. Um, I, I find it's really interesting when you let people challenge their own uh, preconceived notions about what they like or don't like or, or just, you know, not try to trick people, but just allow them the opportunity to second guess themselves. Yeah. And so often it's just get it in the glass. What do you like? What's compelling? Yeah. And then let's tie these threads together. Can you trick them a little bit? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. We're adults here. We can trick people. <laughs> I'm looking in, out into the audience. I'm seeing Uzel has an empty glass and Pat has an empty glass and Lars is working on an empty glass. By a show of hands, how many in this audience own Westland flagship? Oh, there look at you that. Go. Look at that. There you Beauty. go. I, I would really hope that on this tasting this evening, the few hands that were not in the air will go up in future. Uh, you know, Josh and I don't get paid by Westland. We don't get paid for our selections. No. We genuinely believe this whiskey should be in the top five. And you and I, Joshua, I'm looking at you, you and I did a top five American spirit list and yeah. we each placed a uh, Westland flagship on it. Mm -hmm. We did a single malt top five episode and you put Westland flagship on it. You are well so deeply into this whiskey. You've got it on two separate top five lists. As you're tasting it tonight, what is it that resonates for you and, and see if it resonates for this audience as well? Because it's a no brainer. I mean, it really is. It's back to that example of, of the all rounder, especially for someone who is not familiar with whiskey. Maybe they're intrigued by a little bit of smoke, or maybe they're, they're a little worried by some smoke. You know, if you're intrigued by smoke, boom, it's there. If you're worried by smoke, there's enough sweetness from the Oloroso to, to come through. There's that sort of like, that delicate chocolate banana note coming through that, that really, you know. Don't mention bananas, Jess is with us. Oh, right, oh, Jess. She likes warm banana tropicality, but not bananas. I think if you remember rightly, I said it's fine in alcohol. <laughs> it's just not the fruit. So just pour a little Westland over your banana splits. Yeah, I've obviously been doing it wrong as a child. I was messing the Westland to pour into a... <laughs> Any parents out there? Yeah. Yep. There you go. Westland, Westland on your Westland banana for splits. Your uh, listen, before we go too much further, just, just a little bit of, not housekeeping, but just something for you. If anybody has any questions at any point in time, please raise your hand. Uh, I've got a, a nice long cord here. You can come up and you can ask your question and 
for, for whoever's up He's here. been bragging about how long the court is, so <laughs> we should probably find yeah. out. I was yeah. told it's a good size. Yeah. It's always the court with you. <laughs> it is always. <laughs> Jess, I'm curious. You flew in from Glasgow for today's tasting and today's Gary Hanna 8 release and... That's what you do on November the 5th. <laughs> remember, Everybody remember, in Scotland remember. is super jealous. Remember, remember the 5th of November, Garyana 8 release. Before we get to Garyana 8, what does flagship look like in the UK? Do you have ready access to this? Are you pitching this to people in the UK? I, I'm genuinely curious. I have flagship that I've brought back from the US. I haven't seen it yet in a okay. retail shop. All right. Doesn't mean it's not there, but I haven't seen it. There are still, I think, remnants of the three original uh -huh. releases. Same as in uh, Virginia. But I, to me, um, I really love the flagship because it does exactly what Tyler was saying. Like it puts it all together. And I think in the UK, uh, we were literally just talking about this before recording. American single malt still hasn't quite arrived. People mm, are still, sure, sure. they don't know which sort of bit to put it in. So if uh, a kind of unified or a flagship, I see what they did there, product uh, is something you can present to consumers, it's the start of a conversation. Because you already need to have yeah. a bit of a, like a context setting of, Here's American single malt, and then, and this is Westland, and they produce an American single malt. There are other people making American single malts that are not my favorites. But the, um, you know, so you need to have two conversations. Wow. <laughs> no names wow. will be mentioned, Jess. I'm in the right place. Oh, I have no shame. Jess, we're recording right now. Famously, it's okay to say things on wax and then retract them later. All <laughs> right. Um, Just give me a wink. <laughs> is this an incomplete Jessica Lomas list? It's, it's an incomplete list. Um, I flew here for a reason. So it, it's a two-part conversation, and I think that's really difficult as a brand to not only um, for the very short period of time you have the consumer's attention to not only explain what your brand's doing and what this liquid you've done is, but also to be pioneering and introducing them to an entirely new category that isn't... Yeah. And in Scotland, it's a really hard conversation to have because, and I'm, again, we're on wax, but I'm not afraid of saying this. In Scotland, we're fiercely protective of whiskey being a Scottish product, which is also contentious. Uh, and so the conversation of, you know, okay, so this is a liquid that's made as whiskey, but it's not a, doesn't, it may or may not have an E in it. Maybe it comes from the style, this production. So it's a whole bunch of really complicated conversations. So having a, uh, a unified product to be able to say, okay, and this is flagship, so this is what we do. It's got a whole bunch of elements in this that you will recognize from drinking whiskeys from Scotland, yeah. but we're doing it in our own way and unapologetically in the style of something we are trend setting with, I think is really important. Yeah, b before we get to Garyana A, which I know... Look at these thirsty people. I know, Let I them know drink the thirsty it. audience is ready for Garyana. Anna, you have been doing global travels for Westland. Have you been pouring flagship as part of your global travels? Yes, of course. And what has that looked like for you? Name countries. Name countries. All right. Poland. Yep. All right. Netherlands. Yep. France heard of it. Yep. Um, so <laughs> it is really interesting when we pour that for them because they have expectations. First off, they see American, they think bourbon. Yeah. So yeah. then I have to explain, yeah. okay, that's fair, but let me explain um, <laughs> and kind of go into a very quick explanation of everything that we do, what makes this taste the way it does, and then pour that for them, have them taste it, and they go, oh, that's really different. And, yep. Oh, I like that. And then they, it's sort of this little surprise to them, which is fun to see that experience because it is very unlike Scotch. Like we nod to the traditions of Scotch, yeah. mm. but we are not trying to recreate that. They're doing a great job. We don't need to try to do that. So 
it's fun to see that realization awesome. and then kind of yeah. dive into our ethos even further and take them along the journey into the other SKUs, into what else we're creating. How long does it take to capture someone's imagination and do they come to the table? Does anyone come to your table anticipating not liking American single malt or do they come pretty open-minded to uh, what can you tell me about this and could I fall in love with this? I've had a range of experiences. Please, details. So it's it's really fascinating. One, they come thinking it's bourbon and they're like, eh, okay. Uh -huh. And then, then it's this big surprise. Some are people who know Westland, which is oh. wonderful to see. They're like, oh, I want to see what else you have. But yes, I, I want to try this. And yes, I'm familiar with it or I have it. Um, and then we get to explore further. But then um, the other uh, fun piece is when we have someone who is, you know, maybe trying to learn about American single malt and sure. then want to know a little bit more. And then if we dive into that conversation, they get excited and interested and I get excited. So it's fun yeah, yeah. to, to yeah. geek out in that and, and see how far they want to go. Like we can, we can dish out the nerdy details as much as they want. Not everybody mm. needs that and that's okay. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, it's Let's been- go to Germany. <laughs> Yes. The one, all the details. <laughs> Belgium. But what Belgium. has been fun Sweden. in some of the, the oh, on the on the list, so Go many on, on the Go list. On. She's warming up. Um, on some of these experiences, like at Whiskey Live Paris, for example, I also had some folks come from other tables who said, "Oh, I was told I needed to come here." Nice. Which yeah. is amazing. And some of them, it was just a dream to be able to walk some of these folks through the range. I'm like, um, I know about you and your work and this is awesome. So please <laughs> let me have this wonderful experience of walking So you're talking through. brand ambassadors, brand yeah. owners, brands Or themselves. master blenders or, yeah, you know, you're cool. like, what? Very yeah. cool. So that's been fun to, to see that and bring people along and see the range of, you know, exciting or the, it's not bad. All right. Well, that's fine. You know, <laughs> whatever. One, one of the things I'd said to Joshua, as much as you and I talked about on our episode, and I really dug myself into a hole and then I hopefully brought myself back out again. But if I did, I'm putting myself back in it again tonight. Is Westland as a champion of American single malt for a decade, easily a decade, has reached a point where people are very comfortable saying, I don't like Westland. And I think that is a hell of a feather in your cap that instead of going to Hear him out. I yeah, trust me, I, I had I the same reaction. I, like, where the fuck are you going with this shit? I dug it in and I dug it out it and around. I'm gonna do it live. I'm gonna fucking do it live tonight, okay? Is when you're faced with an American single malt and someone says, that's interesting. It's neither here nor there, right? If you meet someone and they go... And that's usually a lie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Because it's code for what? Yeah, it's yeah. code for that's not great. Right? Yeah, it's not good. Right? <laughs> and so the fact that we've reached a point where people who taste Westland can say, that's not for my flavor profile. I'm from Scotland, right? We have 140 distilleries in Scotland. Not every single one fits every single palate. And it's... A-okay to say, that doesn't work for me. When we launched our first Westland, which was the heavily peated, heavily sherried, I didn't want anybody to say, meh, right? I wanted folk to go, 
oh, that is amazing. Or I wanted to folk to say, I will never drink that again as long as I live, <laughs> right? And I think it's really a feather in your cap that folk can say, Wesson are producing immaculate spirit. It fits me or it doesn't. Do you feel that as someone who's championed American single malt for 10 years? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's a sign of maturity for the category, right? I dug it out. I told you We're I would dig it out. <laughs> they don't look convinced. <laughs> the front three rows look very back? convinced. Because you can see their eyeballs more easily. The guys at the back are like... Yeah, the front three rows really took that on board. <laughs> No, but if you have people that can clearly jump out and say, like, yes, I have, I understand my palate and I understand where your whiskey, uh, you know, lands in the spectrum of things that mm -hmm. I like, mm -hmm. and people are getting to know that with uh, a greater degree of certainty, and I think that's, yeah, just a sign of maturity that they've been drinking enough Westland exactly. to know that, right? Exactly. You, you can't yeah. know, you yeah. can't say that without not drinking Westland, or you shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, it's it's a it's a great sign that people are are engaging with the category, engaging with us, engaging with others, and, and figuring it out for themselves. Hundred percent. Yep. Nothing wrong with that. Tyler and I are one mind. Anna. Ish. So in terms of your argument of whether or not it's okay if people dislike it or not, yeah. it's I think it's great to have something where. You know, somebody said, that's in the just not for me category. Exactly. That's okay. Exactly. Am I disappointed? Sure, yeah. because I love it. So I want you to love it too. Yeah. But that's okay because there's certainly other things that are not my jam either. But that mm -hmm. doesn't mean that they're poor quality. It mm -hmm. just means it's not for my palate yep. and that's okay. Yep. I also keep bottles of beer that are just okay for when I know that friends who like it come by. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, you always have these staples, right? right. Whether or not they're for me or not, right. like the flagship. So smart. Deserves to be on your back bar whether or not you, you really love it or you think it's <laughs> the best whiskey or just like the second best whiskey. It deserves to be there. I think it's a top five whiskey in American spirits, hands down. Yeah. What, I, what I would not be happy with is if someone said, well, that's different. <laughs> right? And that tone, you're like, ooh, okay. Oh, but but it's all about the, uh, the inflection and the yeah. emphasis. Ooh, that's different. <laughs> That's, that's a, good. That's a lot. Not, not my grandmother's, yeah. that's different. <laughs> yeah, that's like my mom's interesting. It's, it's not good. Run away quickly. Right? So are we ready to discuss Gariana 8? We are. Yes, uh, please. Sorry, Gariana Hins 8. Hey. hey! Hey! So years ago, I remember uh, Jason... Oh, jeepers Creepers. I remember uh, Jason and I coming to do some cask selections, and this was before... Gariana was a product. You had been maturing, and and the idea was, man, everything tastes like barbecue sauce, but in the best way. It's like so cool, but maybe it's too much. Mm -hmm. And that was here. You are. This is your eighth release, right? Right. Has, has Gariana as a product been something that's evolved for you, or something that you've just looked to present? different flavors from batch to batch. Oh, absolutely. It's something that's evolved as our knowledge of the whiskey and, and how it interacts with the cask um, over time has changed. Certainly the, the kind of first release was big, boisterous. Um, it, it was a lot, right? And we wanted something because we knew that Quercus Gariana had a lot to offer, but it needed 
it, it stood up and was kind of loud in a quiet space. And so mm-hmm. the initial blend was very loud. You had our five malt spirit, but you also had some peated yeah. malt yep. in there. Um, and so all of that sought to kind of rise to the level of, of noise and, and, and amplitude that mm-hmm. Gariana offered. Um, and then second release uh, was a little bit more subtle. There was ex-bourbon in there uh, in terms of the maturation and some pale malt uh, spirit that really allowed more space in mm-hmm. between some of the denser notes of the Gariana mm-hmm. um, that allowed the, the, some of those interesting notes to, to be celebrated. But over time, we realized like uh, there's more to it than just either you know pale malt uh, or ex-bourbon um, and, and our five malt spirit. In, in New Oak and how that pairs. We wanted to really explore the different kind of finishing uh, aspects yeah. of it because how just intense it is on its own. And so I really, I think it started to hit its stride right around uh, release four and six when we first started imp- in introducing the PX. Um, was really uh, okay. kind of an interesting look at how the Oloroso uh, and Pedro Jimenez, like the barrier, the berry notes and everything else wraps up some of the tannin quality that's pretty intense yeah. uh, and softens it and allows it to uh, kind of extend the finish and get beyond um, some of that, that bracing character and, and introduce more nuance into it. And so hmm. there's certainly been this, this um, interesting feeling of exploration, not necessarily one without destination right it's nothing that we do is ever going to be in the in the mind of simply experimenting to see how these things work it's yeah. always to be able to highlight what's going on in the cask and so the component of Gariana in this is is has been kind of increasing over the past couple of years to showcase more of what Corcus Gariana actually is oh, okay um, so last year was one of the highest fractions of Gariana that we had had yet it was 46 percent I think of the total maturation and so this year kind of continues the theme with a, a lot of Gary Oak in there okay. so that it's it's still allowing itself to to shine in, in some of those louder environments of the the kind of Oloroso and, and or the um, the Pedro Jimenez and, and in this year's eight editions of Washington wine. Uh, Ooh. Yeah, yeah. We really love the way some of those the Washington winemakers are doing some amazing uh, Syrah and Cabernet yeah. uh, style wines. And so we're, we've been sourcing some... Um, from the Betts Family Winery, uh, which is one of them um, amongst many others. And um, Shane, our master blender, really loves the way uh, that that kind of red wine, It's the, the, those casts have less tannin mm. quality to mm-hmm. them already. And so when you're finishing and looking to kind of duck under some of the, the heady tannins that come with Gary Oak, it's, it's a great way to, to kind of pair um, some of those flavors and, and kind of extend the, the flavor profile a little bit. Is it a challenge to tame that Gariana effect? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we've only released four single casks, right? It was three single casks and then one hand fill. Oh, and okay. it was so over-the-top aggressive. I see one person who's proud to have gotten it. Yeah, we got this um, question earlier as well about single cask Gariana coming into the distillery. Yeah, yeah. It's You've just done it once. Yeah, yeah, and um, I don't know that we'll ever do it again. Maybe there's the right cask out there that'll show itself, but so far it's just so bracingly bitter. It's got <laughs> the one of the lowest vanillin contents of any oh, oak species, so it's not yeah. really kind of a lot of vanilla. It's got more of the molasses kind of note to it. Once is, you is is that a toast and char thing? Can can you adjust the effect of the Gariana wood based on how you toast and char the? 
the cask itself? Yeah, certainly. And there's been some exploration with that on our end. Usually it's going to get a, a heavy toast and okay. a, a lighter char. Um, okay. The heavy toast just activates more of the aromatics of it. Mm. Um, and all of these uh, staves that you see here next to you, these are air dried for anywhere from 18 to 24 months for our new American oak. But yep. with Corcus Gariana, it's three years minimum of air drying those staves to help oh, break wow. down the, the tannin structure and, and let some of the more aromatics come through. Yeah, okay. There's also some other um, compounds in there as well that are heightened than you would from American oak. So you're going to have more eugenol, that clove note. You're going to have more glycol, so there's going to be more of that smoky. So those things um, are definitely going to add to those mm. flavors that you need to kind of balance in the, in the blend. So given representing the community who came to us this afternoon asking for Gariana's single, uh, single cask in the distillery hand fill. How often, you say you've had one so far, how often do you find a cask of Gariana that could stand on it? <laughs> and I love the fact you're both like rolling your eyes and taking your head from shoulder to shoulder. Uh, how many Gariana old casks have you seen that would stand a single cask? As two chaps and one lady who run and operate single cask nation, <laughs> how does Gariana stand on its own two legs? I would say that I had a second fill Gariana that was oh, okay. beautiful. I was going to ask We tried that in the rack house okay. with Shane recently and like, ooh, that one's real nice. So I'm not saying mm. it's out of range. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to that note, so when we fill new barrels, we fill at 110 poof, proof or 55% ABV. Oh. And uh, tannins and wood sugars are more soluble in water yep. than they are alcohol, right? Yep. So that lower proof, uh, we're going to get a lot more sweeter whiskey out of the front end, but on a second fill, by standard, we fill in at 120 proof. So we're going to be above the kind of tannin extraction that happened that first time around. So that's kind of what I've been kind of suspecting lately is like as we get second fill Gariana casks into the rotation, um, just the, the first extraction, right? But also the, the different proof range is going to provide us with a, a different range of, of extracts and aromatics that are going to be pretty exciting and, and pretty interesting and probably much more approachable on their own. It, it, so is that a, as just a matter of course when you're filling first fill it's at 55% alcohol and second fill it's at 60%? For Westland, sure, yeah. Um, other, other operations will do it differently. Um, and we typically will lose uh, more ethanol to evaporation than water. And so if we fill at 110 yeah. proof after six, seven years, we might end the barreling at like 104 proof or something like that. So we can't really barrel too much below 110 uh, because in our oh, environment okay. we just open up a barrel at like 96 proof yeah, and you'd yeah. be ready to straight for the bottle. <laughs> so so that, that answers my question. When, once we finally get to the, the third and final pour, oh, you know, the, the cast oh, that we did was, and we're not there oh, yet. Slow down. Listen, if you want to cheat, slow you can. Down. But, you know, the fact that it was bottled natural cast strength of 49.7%, I was going to ask, you know, is this just the interesting way in which the angels work in the Pacific Northwest, but it sounds as if it's how you're filling those casts. You're just simply going in at a lower ABV. Yeah, yeah. So that would have started at 55%. Uh, in, in new oak, and then um, that second maturation, that second fill, yeah, again, just yeah, continued okay. the decline. Yeah, there you go. Okay. 
Does Westland have other casts at 62.5 or 63.5? Is that, or is it generally 110 proof, 55% across the board, regardless of the cask? No, so any any second fill that we do, whether it's uh, X-Fill Bourbon or X-Fill Westland, uh, we're going to fill it at, at the higher strength, uh, no matter what. The 120? What. Yeah. But you you haven't gone above 120 on any other fills? No, no, not typically. I mean, 62 and a half uh, is, is used. Uh, sorry, if I said 120, I meant 62 saying, yeah, and a half. I've been having to do math oh, this okay. whole so time. Okay, so 125. How do I divide that? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, it's, there we go. All right, we're all friends here. It's all good. Yeah, it's all right. Second whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jess, you are Europe's number one Westland fan. I think that's a pretty the, accurate claim. The UK. Mm -hmm. uh, don't forget Brexit. Don't forget Brexit, Jason. I will fight the rest of Europe <laughs> yeah. on this one matter. I'm pre-Brexit, motherfucker. <laughs> we are only going This is a long-standing relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck Brexit. Okay, yeah. go ahead. You flew from Glasgow to Seattle, and you're sitting with Tyler on one side, Nan on the other. You must be burning up with questions. And we are filling all the airspace. It's, it's quite difficult sitting in the middle, looking like to the audience watching me switch my head side to side like I'm watching tennis. <laughs> what, what do you have burning inside you that you'd like to put in front of these fine people? Yikes. Uh, <laughs> There's a salve for that. Yeah, check out your doctor. Uh, it was, I had wondered, because when we did the little um, cask picking before this recording, I was looking at the ABVs, um, so that you have answered one of my questions about how everything kind of has settled. We've tried a chunk of casks that are around about nine years old, so they're all kind of sitting at 50%. So I was wondering how that was naturally occurring, and the, um, the Pinot de Chirance, so the number three that everybody's salivating for us to get stuck into, is kind of sitting around the same, isn't it? 49.7, uh, and the banyols that I've just bottled for ROW, <laughs> uh, I think it's 49.8, did we just say? Yes. Yeah, so um, I had wondered how they had settled, but I, didn't, I hadn't appreciated that you were differentiating between, depending on fill levels, the strength of what you're putting in, I and mean, that's quite an interesting conclusion to come to. I was wondering if it was a bit like um, when we bottled our McMira, that came out at 13 years old, sort of just under 50%. And that's because of the um, bodice mine that the distillery are aging their um, casks in is very humid. Mm. So you lose a chunk of ethanol, but not really water. One of the casks that we opened um, was a 200 liter cask, and we got, I think, 205 liters of liquid out of it. Yep. So that, that in itself forms several discussions, one explaining the nature of not like casks are obviously handmade. So although you're aiming for 200, some have got like a little bit of margin with that, but also kind of strange that in Scotland we do a really good job of telling a story of, you know, kind of 2% for an angel share every year. Um, if you do some quick maths, which is not my strong point, uh, after 13 years at 2%, you shouldn't really be sitting sub 50%. So to me, as a, a whiskey nerd, that tells you that something interesting has happened to that cask. It doesn't necessarily mean that the people who have bottled it just got kind of happy with the water yeah. or just decided they wanted more bottles for an outturn. Have we thought about doing that? We could just water stuff down really far and then loads more nation members could buy oh, yeah. whiskey. 
Natural cast strength, 40% alcohol. Yeah. We, we bottled um, an Aberfeldy in ROW2 that yeah. it was really low ABV. It was like 42% naturally had come out of the cask. And I poured it in a tasting, and someone was like, wow, this would have been so much better if it was stronger. And I was like, that was the angels. It wasn't me. I didn't, didn't pick that number. We didn't, we didn't watch it down that far down. Yeah, so I had wondered that about Westland. Um, but it's also really exciting to me in the years that I've been following Westland to see... Um, you guys don't have like an overt age statement, but when you're looking at the details, like the little fact sheet we have here in front of us, to see those numbers creeping up is really cool to me. Um, are you guys aiming, this is such a pedestrian question, so forgive me. Is there a, a number you're tempted to, you know, head for and stick on a bottle? Maybe not make it like a permanent thing, but be like a, here's a 11 and three quarters year old whiskey. We've made it this far. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, great great for noticing because, yeah, most of the whiskeys that we're bottling, certainly single cask right now, are seven, eight years old, pretty yeah. classically. Yep. Um, there's some, the nine right here is, is pretty fantastic. A lot of the whiskey that's in the flagship right now is in that same same category of, of maturation. And so you're certainly going to see us thinking more about that pretty honestly, about what, what consumers want from us, um, what we can offer, but also... You know, there's still a little bit, thank you, uh, a little bit to, to plan for when you're looking about the growth of the business and figuring out what kind of where the whiskey's going to land in terms of yeah, how we the, scale with that. Yeah. The older you make it, the more stock at that age you need to obviously, that's something we talk about a lot about how you can't speed up the age of the whiskey in a cask. If you've put a number of whatever you want, 5, 7, 10, 20, you're committed to that number. You can't speed up the maturation and one of the many things I admire about you guys is that there's no there's no hang up on uh, a number it's about the story of what Wesson's doing like the outposts like Gariana the Solemn you know the, the f different ways you can play with whiskey and make it interesting for and I'm sure lots of people here will agree like how you can keep whiskey interesting without it being oh this is our 12 year old this is our 15 year old this is our you know whatever one of the things that I love as a nation, even before I was involved in the nation, is that there were young numbered whiskeys coming out of Westland and it was kind of like almost a perverse laugh to be like, this is my <laughs> two-year-old whiskey. Um, yeah, our first whiskey, our first Westland was a two-year-old whiskey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there was no qualms about putting that two-year-old on there. And then we released another two-year-old after that, which was a, a selection. Just really quickly, just by actually Maybe you can scream because people can't hear hands. Do you guys care about age statements? No. <laughs> rabble, 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 rabble. All right. Rhubarb, rhubarb. It, it is an interesting uh, point to be here, though, because, yeah, very early on, when you start making and selling whiskey, people are going to try it, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, this is, this is really nice. I like this. I'm really curious to see where you're going to be at in six years. That's yeah, exactly. And you know yeah. what? Like, I'm, I'm looking at this audience, and there's a few of these faces here that have been with us on this journey for, for that long of time, and, and we're here. Like, we're, we're still doing it. We're yep. still making some amazing whiskey. Yep. And, uh, and we've got Anna now traveling the globe for us, like, Ooh. getting the whiskey out there. So it's here we are six <laughs> years later. We're doing it. We're making some really, really killer whiskey, and it's, it's being received well. So this is exciting times. What's fun is when traveling around with these, trying them out for people. Um, I just, you know, was showing off Solemn, of course, with our 
American Pete. Um, and it was fun to, as I was talking about the geeky details of the bog and everything, and the peat that we harvest, and the whole process, and all that. And then I would have them try it, and then I'd say, because they, if they asked about age, I'm like, how old do you think this is? And then seeing their response and saying, actually, this is only like three and a half years old. Yep. And then they go, yep. what? Like, see, age is just a number. We can still make exquisite whiskey without it being older. Doesn't mean that we aren't going to make older whiskey. Yep. But there's room for all of that across the board. Yep. So I'm, I'm turning 50 in December. Is age still just a number? Just a number, Just Joshua. a number. Okay. Whew. Thank God. I, I do wonder if the age statement is a number. It's, it's definitely, it was a marketing, marketing gimmicking Scotch whiskey had, had introduced a long time ago. I think as a, what has now become like a slightly lazy shortcut way of explaining when you put things in front of an audience of people, this is how we differentiate. And I do think whiskey's changing because you can now be at a festival in anywhere in the world and you can have a conversation with people about a peat bog in Westland to me that's a, a, or in Washington State to me is kind of mind blowing that there are people coming and asking you questions like that instead of being like was oh, that one of the smoky ones Pfft, no thank you <laughs> no, so I, I guess whiskey consumers are much more informed even in the years I've worked in whiskey the way people have conversations about it is very different and very cool and I hope that we can cons continue that evolution of knowledge that it's no longer about okay well if it's a 10 year old then it's going to be these three things tick 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 that's yep. what the three so yeah. when we move to the 15 it's going to be these three things tick 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 yeah uh, and for some of the bigger distilleries i think that's going to be a really big problem because a lot of their conversation with consumers is about what you look for in each age mm -hmm. statement i think for distillers like westland who are having a totally different set of conversations from the off the age number thing isn't a concern. I like that we've just asked a room full of people who are heavily invested in this and biased, do you guys care about age? And you're all like, no. No, we don't care about age. Except for when we do. Except, except for when we do, but, yeah. But, but not to undermine Jesse's point, but does, does Wesson have a goal in having a flagship eight-year-old, a flagship 10-year-old, a flagship six-year-old, or have we really moved beyond age statements where you say this is the way the Westland flagship and here's what we put out to the consumer? So what Gariana is and what the outpost range is, is that's Westland playing the whiskey game in its own way mm. and like trying to chase the dream of releasing, yeah, like an eight year old flagship whiskey as being the thing that everybody needs to buy at, yeah. at $40 a bottle. That's someone else's game. Mm, the outpost range, go. talking about go. the malt, the, the maturation, and the sense of place through uh, Solum and, and our peating process, that's, that's how Wesson is, is doing the whiskey game that has been established for a long time, but doing it in a much more reflective way that has a sense of place. And like, we don't have 200 years at our disposal, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, we're working on it, but um, in, <laughs> you know. Six years at a time. One decade one at a time. De one decade <laughs> at a time, right? Here we are, just starting decade number two. <laughs> so yeah, like our strength, Westland's strength is just being who we are and making our whiskey mm -hmm. from our own perspective. And we're gonna falter if we try to do it anybody else's way. I was going to say, I think you've raised a good point there about the idea of, you've mentioned a price, which I guess varies hugely. 
we're still looking at this as whiskey nerds, being like, we'd really love to see you do a 10-year-old flagship. I guess maybe the way a distillery could play it instead is sort of flagships 46%, you know, like a cask strength flagship, which would allow you to be flexible with stock and still tell the same story. As nerds, we are so invested in the, this absolute minute pinpoint. What you've just said is absolutely right. The retailer is like, okay, so this is going to sit on the shelf at $40, $100. What is that sat next to? How do we sell that in comparison to the leading single cask, something else people come in for, which is sadly uh, the more realistic view, I think, for distilleries. It's a nice ambition to be able to like, oh, yeah, next year we're going to launch our... 14-year-old whiskey, when realistically, I think, if the story, the important bit of getting Westland to the consumers is keeping it within a much tighter category of like, well, if we leave it as it is with the cask makeup we have available to us, we can put it out to the masses at $40 a bottle, which makes it much more competitive so that we're going to have people coming back in and then we can have the conversation about, oh, that's a that's a Westland with the with the white and red stripe. What does that do? And you can be like, oh, it's, you know, solo or whatever. You can have that conversation. I think it's just a pie-in-the-sky dream for us to be like, this is a 12-year-old Westland. It's really nice. So am I hearing correctly in that the flagship is now going to be a $40 bottle? <laughs> At cask strength, 12 years old. <laughs> I'm seeing signs that say no. <laughs> this is a podcast. We can edit those people out. <laughs> this uh, this Gariana is... It's excellent. I, I enjoy every single one, and they've all been a bit different, and this has been quite nice. It's nice to know where some of those other flavors are coming from, that, that Washington wine uh, coming out, which is nice. Can you just really quickly before we, because I, I realize you know we want to get to the third whiskey, and we have some other things to talk about, but why 50% with this one on the ABV? Is there a, a, a reason for that? Is that just... Where, where you think it tastes best? The outpost range has been kind of standardized at that 50% ABV across the series. Mm-hmm. Um, one, to make it uh, communicating kind of the flavor differences from one series to the next, yep. much more approachable and understandable. It also, it's, it's high enough in proof, obviously, that we don't chill filter anything that we do. Um, yeah, so yeah. we don't have to worry about um, haze formation or anything like that in the glass. Uh, it's also high enough that it, it drinks well but also isn't going to be obscuring kind of the hard work of the design of either the grain or the cask or that peat with just the kind of alcoholic burn. So mm-hmm. there's a sensory component there that that I think makes it much more approachable and easy to understand what we as whiskey makers are trying to do yeah. rather than just say, Here, here's the next cask strength something, you know, like these things can drift in, in a way that uh, gets out of out of um, out of hand if you're if you're just saying this is the expression as it as it came out of the cask versus this is the expression as we as whiskey makers want us to tell it. Gotcha. It's such a good point. Jess and I are making eyes at one another right now because. Easy. But it's so true. As single cask purveyors, we keep putting out these idealistic single casks. One thing that we don't do as bricks and mortar distillery owners is bring a series of casks together Mm. for a clear distillery profile. And so to hear you talk about your business makes perfect sense. Is your business our business? No. Are there moments when our business knocks into your business? Absolutely. 
And with that said, Anna. Yes. Obviously, you love all Westland equally. You're a mother, they're all your children. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Is there a place where you think it really shines? Is there a second use that comes through? For, for listeners and, and for the, the masses lined up in front of us, what is your warehouse experience like with Westland and with Shane? You can, you can talk awesome. a little bit about It's awesome, Jane. in short. Um, <laughs> I mean, what I love is that, and this is going to sound lame, but I think Westland shines in all of it because we can blend amazing whiskeys like what we're sipping tonight. Yeah. So we can have something that is distillery, character forward, but approachable and still hits these notes and you know, showcases the things we want to showcase. Where single casks, I, and not everybody loves them. We clearly do, all of us up here. Um, but I think that's a way to explore distillery character in a different way. Uh -huh. It's like showing sure. um, the different facets. So we're like looking at five malt through a new lens and every cask is different and that's fun because some, like, you know what? Some of these are definitely stars and they work amazingly well and can showcase this stuff well. Otherwise, you're like, you know what? No, this is going to be really great structure in a blend. Oh, well and, said. Yeah, you know, well so said. It's, yeah. it's just finding those. Um, but I think that we have a, such a wide range that we can, can we do it all? Sure. Um, you know, we have <laughs> 65 different types of casks in the warehouse. So there's... Wow. Some of it amazing, some of it maybe. There, I'm thinking of one in particular that's maybe not as beautiful as others. It was All right. Jason used. is eyeballing right. you from the third row. <laughs> that was a fun. Saying. It was a fun, silly one. It was. It's not meant for single casts, but um, everything. You know, we have like this huge palette that Shane gets to play with. Yeah. So yeah. of choosing these single casks, of you know, I getting to work with you guys to choose something here or you know that Shane uses to craft these battings yeah. you know so we have this huge range of flavors to play with it's just great but it seems striking as we as independent bottlers talk to bricks and mortar distillers you get to play both games we only get to play one of those games if if we come upon a single cask that doesn't work as a single cask we might understand that it has a different remit for you as a distiller, but it doesn't fit for us as an independent bottler. So I get to be a little bit envious there, but at the same time, we get to hang out with you in the warehouse and Shane in the warehouse, and we get to, I hope I'm not talking out of school, but we get to climb three high, and we get to <laughs> pop some bungs, and we get to find some casts that we photograph and... <laughs> and maybe used for a later selection? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. So, so with this in mind, let's let's go to whiskey number three, if you haven't done already. Hopefully everybody's followed the rules. Yeah. Cameron, do you have anything in your glass? Yeah, good lad. <laughs> good lad. Go. So this is this is our third and final whiskey of, of the evening. This is a, a nine-year-old that was finished in Pinot de Chiron. Yep. Yes. And it's peated 49.7% alcohol. This one, upon nosing it, reminds me of an old school bourbon. And what? I'm not even getting the, the peat on it. It's what? like that, su that sweet, heavy oak going on. So you got the same glass as the rest of us. <laughs> well, I also, 
Do you guys get this? <laughs> is no one, am I the only one not getting that? I, I get oak on it, certainly. Like yeah, older, okay. there you go. Yeah, older wood. Yeah. Does anybody know, anybody here know what Pinot de Chiron is? No, a lot of oh. people shake. Oh, Cameron. Oh, oh, two hands. Two hands. Oh, no, you can come right. here. You can, you can talk into the mic. Here, no, here. Oh, I want to check and reach you. <laughs> look at this, this cord go. Thing. We're doing it live. Do look, it at, live. look at the length of that cord. Thank you. Josh, only because you told me beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, this uh, is live. Yes, I understand. <laughs> so uh, how I understand it to be is a neutral grain spirit that is aged, uh, or ex excuse me, um, Aged with uh, brandy, I would believe. Is that, is that correct? All right, so we're going to take this back. You go, you go back to your seat there. Oh, boy. All right. Now I need to be careful about who I'm calling you on You had here. one job, Cameron. One job. <laughs> one job. Let me just say, you invited people into the room expertly. Expertly. <laughs> Cheers to you on that So, part. So Pinot de Chiron, if you're not familiar, it's, it's a French wine product. It's, it's fortified, similar to sherry, right? Sh sherry being a Spanish wine that's fortified with neutral spirit that's usually from, from grape, and it's fortified with that neutral spirit, brings the ABV up and, and sort of kicks off that sort of oaky profile coming through. With Pinot de Chiron, it is a, a French wine from a very specific grape and, but instead of being fortified with neutral spirits, fortified with cognac. So it's much sweeter uh, in, in general. It's quite beautiful. And so, so when we were coming to, to Westland and, and seeing the, the various casks that were potentially on offer and Pinot de Chiron was, was on there, I was like, fuck me, that sounds awesome. <laughs> And wow, is this great with that with that peat? And this is yeah. this is the the Baird's peat. This is not the the Washington correct. Peat, yeah, correct? that yeah. heavily peated peat. And there's a little bit of this that, if I'm reading the proof right, you know, 49.7. So that means that the original barreling was probably at 110 proof into yeah. New American oak for peated. And yeah. what I love, I initially got off the nose is with new oak and peated malt. I get this like crunchy peanut butter Ooh, kind of a note to nice. it. And it, I get it here too, but it's also like the Pinot de Chiron. Like it, it just wraps everything up in yeah, such a yeah, nice, yeah. kind of luxurious mouthfeel. There's, yeah, it's 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 different because it's like a little bit of an herbal kind of a thing going on. Oh, school's out. School's <laughs> out for summer. Um, and yeah, this is just a really phenomenally phenomenally constructed wisdom. You guys picked a good one. <laughs> you guys made a great one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Tyler. I so, really like how the there's sort of almost a floral sweetness on top of this that's sitting on top of the peated mm. note there that also has yeah. like a savory quality to it. Almost a brininess, but not quite. It's a really yeah. fun balance. Yeah. Yeah, no, this, this one is this one was a no-brainer upon tasting it. Just, just really quickly, and this is with, with you in mind, Anna, as, as the one who we talk to when it comes to us wanting to procure more single casks. As we were preparing for this live podcast, I was looking through our email database, of which everybody is on. Thank you. And, and I was targeting all of the people that live in Washington State. And I went to our Whiskey Jubilee email list. Yes. And you were on the Whiskey Jubilee email list. This was before your days in Westland. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Which is fantastic. So we got to, to, to be with you just on the other side of the table, and, and now we're here with you as the number one person we talk to when it comes to being able to procure <laughs> these casts. So it, it's, an, it's an absolute honor. Really well, is. thank you. Um, yeah, so when is the Jubilee coming back? Oh. Wait. Oh. Yeah. Bring it back. Be careful what you, you wish for. Be careful what you wish for. I love the way that started as Joshua giving a really nice kind of slightly <laughs> teacher's pet compliment, which just backfired right in your face. <laughs> uh, yeah, I... That's dig the most animated you've seen yeah, in this room tonight. Dig yourself <laughs> out of that. I, I, I can't. <laughs> I can't, but what here. I will do is I'll change gears. <laughs> so so I, I'm, I'm going to point this one towards you. Feel free to, to sip as I ask you this question. You, Tyler? Uh, sorry, you, Tyler. Thank you for all of our listeners out there, not the viewers. Um, your title is distillery manager and now also master distiller. <laughs> Take a drink every time. You know, when I, when I think of people who hold that title, some of the people that come to mind are those like Eddie Russell or John Campbell or, you know, uh, Bill Lumsden, you know, things like, just, just these huge names. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> can you name more than three? <laughs> Richard Patterson. I can, I can, Rachel Berry. There you go, okay. Should I keep going? Wait, I was just excited for another I famous I'm just, I'm just naming names. But my point is, like, for those that... So I'm going to use the, the John Campbell example. He was with Lafroy for 29 years as the distillery manager, and he was a goddamn rock star everywhere he went. But what he did is he managed the distillery. He managed the people who did all of the things to make Lafroy. What is it that Tyler Peterson does with Westland? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, let's ask Will back there, who's, <laughs> who's shaking his head no. Um, so yeah, I mean, what, what I've been kind of largely focused on is, is optimizing and, and making sure that the team here has what, what they need. And what I love is trying to connect the dots, right? I, I, I studied ecology in school, okay. and I love the relationships uh, of between biological systems and how they interact. And so I love to be able to like look outside and, and see the weather and say, okay, it's sunny right now. Well, what does that mean for the crop? And then how can I work with the, the farmers, the researchers, the maltsters, the distillers to huh. say, here's how we're going to optimize based off of you know, the thing that we're seeing in real time. And so to try and connect these dots, because it takes 10 years to breed a new variety of barley. It oh, takes, wow. you know, we're in it for a week of production, and then it's seven years of maturation. And so we're almost wow. in the middle of a 20-year timeline of product development. And that's what I'm engaged with, is trying to figure out how to make a better whiskey based off of you know, this weird kernel of barley that is so unlike the glass of whiskey in front of you. What does that spreadsheet look like? A 20-year <laughs> spreadsheet. Yeah, it's, it looks like uh, Charlie Day from uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Where he's just got lines to newspapers going all over the place. It's crazy. 
Um, but you have to just, uh, it, it's, it's fortunately I've had a long, I've spent here 10 years here, right? And I've had a lot of uh, people that I've been working with. Shane Armstrong is our master blender. He's been with, with us for 11 years. Mm. Scott Sell, he's been managing our rack house and, and runs our farm. We, we have a farm, right? He's, <laughs> he's been with us for 13 years. And yeah. uh, Matt Hoffman, who, who I'm kind of taking the reins over for in the, the master distiller's role, like all of those people were really good, are really good at what they do. And so to be able to live up to the expectations of, of my colleagues who yeah. are amazingly bright people, but also now to look forward and try to fill the shoes of the role of, of this position that is, as you say, it's greater than some of these people, Bill Lumsden and some of these other characters, right? They're, they're yeah. rock stars. And I, yeah. I can't sing, I can't draw, I can't dance, but I can make some good whiskey. Um, so that's how I'm going to try and contribute. Uh, I can't sing, I can't draw, I can't dance. <laughs> I'm not a rock star, but, you For know. For those of you looking to get into the whiskey industry, great way to open your resume. Anna, <laughs> <laughs> just on top of Tyler's response here, how sure. did you find your way to Westland as well? For listeners, we've obviously mentioned your name yeah. multiple times on the podcast, you are a darling of the podcast. How did you make your way into Westland? We understand the origin is with Whiskey Jubilee, but post Whiskey <laughs> yes. Jubilee. That was really the starting point. Aside um, from us, how did you find your way into Westland? I mean, it's it's been a really interesting journey because I have, as you have sort of discovered through this, I have been a Westland fan for mm. many, 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 many years. Mm -hmm. I stood in line for Garyana One release. I remember that. I have pictures of that. That was awesome. So I've been a fan of Westland for a long time. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Jason. Um, but my training is certainly not in whiskey. Yeah. But this is one of the things I love about the whiskey world is everybody has a very unique path. Mm -hmm. So mine, yeah. I had 15 years experience in orchestra management. <laughs> and which does awesome. not on paper look like it translates. <laughs> However, there's a lot of transferable skills there. And um, I was a part of the Our Whiskey Foundation mentorship program. And I happened to be paired with ah. Matt Hoffman, ah. which was amazing. Because I was sort of like looking in through the window knowing I want to work in the distillery world. Wow. I want to do this. I love whiskey. I'm passionate about it. I want to be part of the craft. How do I do this? Yeah. And it's, you know, you only see folks from the outside. You see brand ambassadors. We have a great team. We see them. We see folks like Tyler. But you don't see the rest of the team. So it's yeah. like, what else is there? So it's a part of this mentorship program paired with Matt. And when I explained, you know, what I did for work, he goes, oh, you're a project manager. Okay. Interestingly, we are going to be hiring one of those. Interesting. And uh, yeah. so I interviewed, got the job. Yeah. Got repaired with a different mentor, Polly Logan at Tormor. Hey. Hey. hey, all right. Love Polly. Yeah. So that was, you know, an amazing experience, just sort of an entry point of just getting in and talking to someone mm -hmm. and understanding. Mm -hmm. But it's like, you know, there are all these different roles available. Um, you just, you know, got to find it. Yeah. But, but don't you think that's one of the difficulties for the whiskey industry is it seems to exist on a pedestal and if I could only break in but you're starting to talk about there's a Westland mentorship program it wasn't Westland our whiskey foundation oh had a our whiskey yeah our whiskey mentorship uh, program was uh, the fuck is our whiskey 
behave. If I may speak on behalf of everybody else in the room. Um, you're, the, you're the only person in here who doesn't have social media. The rest of us are well-versed with what our are whiskey foundation all, are doing. Are you all familiarly versed with our whiskey? There's some, hey. yes, I see some, and I, yes. Um, started, Those are my people right there. Yeah, also with no social media. <laughs> started by Becky Paskin, the wonderful Becky Paskin. Ah, okay. Yes, okay, so now it's connecting the dots. So oh, that's okay. worldwide program. Folks who are either interested in joining or looking to grow or something in the whiskey industry. And so they are paired with someone. We apply, you get paired with someone in the industry. And it's around the world. So, you know, you might be paired with someone in another country. Wow. Six-month program. There's a lot of facets to it. It's amazing. And now I also have all of these contacts from people who are in my cohort. I have, now there were 49 other with women that now I have contacts around the world wow. that I can reach out to. That's super cool. So it's yep. it's this great fellowship of amazing women who are in the industry. That's wonderful. And so we're all able to cheer each other on, support, help, do whatever we need. So that's that's what that is. Perfect. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Indeed. I'm waiting for Anna to be a mentor, then I'm going to apply. <laughs> <laughs> soon, soon, yeah. And I missed this because I'm not on social media? There you go. Yeah. Wow. See, one more reason to join. <laughs> no, thank you. Hard pass. <laughs> but it's, it was a network that was set up specifically, I think, if I'm not speaking out of school, uh, with the idea of, one, how to make the industry more accessible to people, but a lot of the work that Becky and the foundation do is specifically how do you recruit women into the industry mm -hmm. sure, and people sure. who are underrepresented from the... Um, I've had several people say this to me, so I'm not making it up. The stale, pale, and male... <laughs> Uh, face of the industry. Wow. Oh, that's amazing. Deserved. Hashtag uh, lady so bosses. Spot on. Gosh, I hope I'm not Gosh. stale. I'm okay with the other two. I hope I'm not stale. Dating facts. Um, Spin truths. Yeah, the other part of it. So there's the mentorship program. There's a lot of awareness that's going on. There's also uh, recently they did a bunch of photo shoots of women drinking whiskey that can be that are able to be used by brands, um, so it's not just what you often see in advertisements. Yeah. It's definitely some um, interesting work that they're pioneering, and I think, I think it's needed. It's about how to have a conversation that's not uh, very pointed. Sometimes you have conversations about inclusion in the industry, not mm -hmm. just the whiskey industry, but how you include more people. How do we take in demographics that are traditionally not associated with scenes as we're here talking about whiskey? How do we recruit people who aren't just traditionally what whiskey's been marketed to in a way that's not offensive and you're not walking up to people and saying my favorite question do you really do you like, actually like whiskey <laughs> yeah <sighs> just to be clear jess jess really likes whiskey just to be clear don't make me sound like a total booze hound <laughs> anna do you like whiskey weird she's never weird. had it before never it's first time <laughs> so that, that's a really cool project to be involved in and i'd love to see more of that, I think, because it's a question I get asked a lot, and maybe you do too. When people come to festivals, how do you, how did you get this job? How did you uh, get into whiskey? You know, genuinely inquiring questions. And sometimes I have to say things like, "Oh, I used to work at a whiskey jubilee," and they look at me and they're like, "What? What's that?" <laughs> and like it's this defunct festival that the founders <laughs> refuse to bring back. <laughs> Controversial. <laughs> Thank you, Jess. Thank you. Just really laying it on thick. Dear. There's not many places I can do this. And I'm, I'm in a room of supporters, so we can, I can get away with this for as long as this podcast recording goes on for. This is a safe space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Safe space. Yeah. Not for Hi, everybody. Me, not. <laughs> I feel, yeah, not I feel for the attacked. two guys on the end. Yeah. <laughs> All right. 
Questions? Well, I, I actually, I wanted, to, I wanted to call on someone specific. Oh. <laughs> Who's it gonna be? It's actually Devin. Devin, can I call you off for a second here? He said yes. <laughs> so, so Devin, for, for those that are in the room and, and those that are listening, like, you are a face of Westland throughout the U.S., correct? Mm-hmm. Hold on, let me, let me come to you. <laughs> oh, Devin, so good to see you. When was the last time we saw each other? Oh, back at Julio's. Was it was it no, Julio? No, it was karaoke. Now with Madhu. <laughs> yeah, we were, yeah, I was doing a little karaoke. My favorite people in the whiskey world. Can you talk to us what it's like to be peddling whiskey, American single malt whiskey from Westland, to an American consumer? As I travel the country more and more discussing American single malt, you know, obviously the whiskey world is definitely following certain kind of trends and there's a lot of people out there that are just like bourbon, bourbon all the way. You know, but in my case, like I, you know, I really like to talk to them about how much care and dedication to every part of the process that Westland puts into what they're doing. And I really like to also kind of showcase the humanity of it. You know, like how much we're trying to change that conversation, how much we can really kind of play to people's palates by, you know, talking about like that, those sustainability initiatives and, and the, the human element of what we're doing, or the people on the team, Tyler, Matt Hoffman, Jason Moore, our new director, who's been doing ooh, fantastic ooh. things for us. <laughs> uh, Anna, cool. Hannah, and, and Colton, and everybody in the, in the uh, tasting room. And really, like, you know, talking about it, like, yeah, you know, we are trying to change the story on American whiskey, but we're still, you know, 20, 25 people in Seattle. And, and that's, a, that's a connecting element to people. So, you know, even though they're kind of, like, stuck in a certain flavor profile, they start to find a way to appreciate the whiskey because they're looking at it in a more educated light, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> Beauty. Cheers. Thank you for that. Great to be here. <laughs> so so now is is a perfect time if anybody has any questions for tyler or for anna for jess for jason myself please come up and ask them oh we've got we've got cameron right here did you just raise your hand are we going to talk pinot de chiron yes <laughs> we can't do that here come on come on up so this uh question for tyler two parts actually um you talked a lot about place which I, I really actually enjoy the fact that you mentioned that multiple times during your response. Um, how is it that you communicate that place in the spirit? What do you think it is that, that really um, tells the, the buyer, the client, that this is a place that it was um, distilled and the care that went into it? Yeah, I mean, it, it may be product specific, right? But the thing that what we're doing is so influenced by people and the people that come from this place, right? Uh, it's the influence of the, the five malt grain bill, the specialty malts is from the brewers that are across the street and behind us and, and literally like a stone's throw in every direction. Um, it's influence from the winemakers and their use of high quality casks. You know, Washington has over 600 wineries. Um, a lot of wine is made in this, in this wonderful state. It's the thought of innovation that kind of compels all of us on this this team here to kind of keep moving forward and and offer something new and its own perspective so there's the human element that is 
I think easily reflected in in the approach to what we do and and the construction of it. The raw material, I suppose, is is harder to really connect people until you're really talking about the peated whiskey. Solum is the one where I think it's just a lightning rod to connect people from like this idea of a sense of place to what's in their glass is because those those components have been literally like almost elements of soil for thousands of years in a very specific sense of place until we decided to vaporize it a couple of years ago and <laughs> and, and and smoke some barley over it um, and and so it's one about like the philosophical approach that it connects us to this place um, the flavors in the glass sometimes are harder to do, but with Solum, it's very, very easy in my mind. And, and Gary Oak, Quercus Garyana, the only native oak species to the Pacific Northwest, is that sense of place in a glass. Anytime you taste that, that kind of heightened um, oaks, oak presence that's got some bitterness, but also some really interesting um, clove and, and molasses and baking spices and Kansas City style barbecue smoke, like that's oddly home and I don't know why it is but it's it is it's it's a sense of, of being around a campfire in the Pacific Northwest um, so there's a lot of elements whether it be our approach or the actual flavors that are coming out of the glass that I think talk about that sense of place and then I'll talk about barley and, and the farmers that that grew it until you kick me off of this mic so <laughs> so everything you just addressed was exactly how I experienced Westland so I'm glad that as a as a, a client of the product that uh, I'm tasting what you guys are putting into the glass, and like you hit on the wine the wine notes, which I specifically actually was going to follow up with. So my house is divided. Um, my, I've I have my wife now drinks whiskey, but she's also a big red wine fan, yeah. and I have a bottle of your Cloudburst collaboration at home, and I think. Uh, well, my question is, do you have plans to do specifically with a winery in Washington, because this is the place that you, you know, get to call home, a collaboration expression where you actually name a winery that you have partnered with, mm. like you have done with Cloudburst? Because for me, those wine expressions are the ones that are the, the heart, like the, the biggest to chew on, right? There's so much going on there. Right. And I think that would be cool. And I'm just curious, and I don't know if I'm speaking only for me, but if that's a um, maybe a trail you want to go down is, is partnering with a specific winery because of Washington. And as you mentioned, the wineries here, 600, I believe you quoted. I don't know. You're more. Yeah. So that's, that's my question. Yeah, yeah. So like the Cask Exchange series certainly opened our eyes to how we can be better stewards of the the broader environment, the culture of the brewing, winemakers, distilling community, um, because they don't have to source barrels from Kentucky. They can source them from their own backyard, and we can keep those flavor profiles here. Um, but also, there's a lot of interesting avenues of exploration of working with people that are like-minded, making similar flavor profiles, or maybe radically ones different that can complement what we're doing. So it's certainly something that we're really intrigued to, to kind of explore and, and look further down the path of, of what's coming out. I would, I would say that you should keep your eyes on the, on the space because it's something that we're mindful of and want to be really thoughtful about how we can introduce kind of these compelling products and ideas to, to the people that want them. So Winery Cask Exchange, <laughs> keep my eyes open. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> Not saying things, I'm saying things. <laughs> there are lines to be read. Uh, wait, oh. we gotta, come on up, Pat. 
really either very simple or very difficult question. Yes. <laughs> Why is there an asterisk by the Washington State red wine on this card? Because <laughs> it's been bugging me since I sat down. Yeah. <laughs> I, Anna? Yeah. Um, I th <laughs> it's a great question. Um, I think probably because we ran out of space to say what that was. Um, so there's uh, the red wine that's in there is, uh, there's a little bit of Cabernet Sauvignon and Syrah. Just because there's two, there needs to be a star? Dude, that's a lot of words to put in there. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, mean I, just, I, I don't know, just a comma would have been fine, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> just one of those that was bugging me. Woo. Anyway, was that a question you were anticipating tonight? <laughs> no. All the questions all the great. people here could have asked you. But no, it was one that people pop. needed to I know. I thought the yeah. same thing when I saw the card. I was wondering what the asterisk was particular to. There's a question in the back of the room from the gentleman in plaid. Oh, Come on, would down. you mind coming up? Which we support the plaid. Come on yeah. down. You know, the next and the Oh, that's Calary. Yeah. After oh, this, Philippe Fanavon yeah. has a question yeah. as well. Philippe Fanavon. Right. Got my Gariana shirt on. Way to go. Plaid. So I just want to represent the old school who's been here since Deacon Seat. There is a market for single cast Cariana. Just hey. like just like Brookpilati Octomore or Hampton DOK, there are those of us who are weird. Bring it on. I love I want it. the punch in the face. Yes. Um, and then my other please bring it up. My other question is, when are we gonna see the purple obsidian barley cask mm. that you have been oh, teasing for yes. years? That's the question in the room. Yeah, That's like purple obsidian. Oh, we're getting into barley territory. Yes. Holy That's shit. That's his favorite These topic. <laughs> Jerry, what was your name? Matthew. Matthew. That was Matthew asking Yeah, the thank you. Great questions. So yeah, the Garyana cast. Like we'll we'll keep revisiting that that conversation, that piece, because like it is something that we know people want, and it is about getting it out there in a way that people will understand it, and not be not take it the wrong way. That this is just it could be polarizing. It could be polarizing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Tyler, so, Tyler, do you find that? when you do a distillery exclusive, that that allows you to tell that story on site as opposed to sending it out to retail or having someone else be responsible for sharing that message? Yeah, absolutely. There's enough of what we do that is very kind of beyond the pale, and so it's hard to understand unless you know, sometimes someone's walking through <laughs> right, the experience. Exactly, yeah. And exactly. so, yeah, we certainly value the hard work that the team up in the tasting room is, is doing and, and, and allows us to really get some of the, the interesting whiskeys out there because, yeah, we've got 65 different cask types and we've distilled over 33 unique barley varieties. Wow. So the wow. combination of things that we're able to offer in the coming years is, is pretty mind-blowing wow. and really exciting. Um, but a lot of that is going to need to be kind of carefully curated and, and, and discovered. And so when we're talking about something like the uh, Purple Egyptian or the Obsidian, which we mm -hmm. first distilled, I think, in 2016. Yeah. And for those that don't know, like the barley kernels that go into all of your whiskey, it's this pale-colored two-row spring-planted barley variety that has been bred for yield, uh, decent flavor, but mostly biscuity clean. You ferment, you get alcohol, and you move on to the cask for maturation and, and flavor. But when we've been distilling these 30 unique barley varieties, some of them have been more standout than others, and the purple Egyptian is one of them. It's purple. Uh, it doesn't have a husk, and so from a brewer's perspective, it's incredibly hard to work with because that husk is, is useful in many ways, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but the flavor thing 
is crazy. It tastes wildly different than anything we've ever really encountered yep. before. And so we're looking to see how soon we can get that out. Probably Kaleri in a couple of years, we'll start wow. to see something like that wow. uh, come to fruition. We've got a couple things in line ahead of that. Um, but yeah, since we distilled it, and I think started in 2016, 2017 with with real scale, then you should start to see like a, a nice, like mature spirit come off of this pretty soon. It's exciting. So just to be clear, the purple Egyptian, the purple obsidian are the same barley? Yeah, so Skagit Valley, originally we were sourcing a variety called obsidian. Mm -hmm. We got enough for one day's worth of whiskey. So we distilled that. <laughs> wow. The next year we got another variety that was not the same. Uh, they didn't tell us what it was, so I just called it Dark Horse. And um, <laughs> Scott's My favorite comic book. Sc yeah, well, so you. Scott Sell, our, our, our farmhouse and rackhouse manager, he, his truck, we just called the Dark Horse for whatever reason. And so I was like, that's a cool name. I'm just going <laughs> to borrow that. Uh, so we distilled Dark Horse for a full week of production. So I think we made almost 40 casks. And oh, that's okay. All right. when the scale begins yeah. to really pop. And then um, Skagit Valley, they stopped growing this variety there because the farmers couldn't couldn't hang i mean it's it's a hard variety to grow it wasn't really mm. bred for uh this environment and so we started finding a, a farmer and maltster out in spokane and the other half of the state that's been growing this variety um or a similar variety i should say okay. um so yeah we've got a whole new set of genetics a whole new malt house perspective on it so you're going to get to see kind of what the purple egyptian or purple hullus varieties look like but grown on different halves of the state malted by two different malt houses. Wow. Um, cool. so, so, yeah, we've yep. got some cool there's, things coming out. Yeah. Yep. yeah, there we go. Yeah, so we've got a, a question from Philippe Panavong, who, by the way, was the first ever song we sang on our podcast. <laughs> Philippe Panavong, <laughs> Philippe Panavong. Well, first, thank you, Joshua. This is a, I would say, average length chord is really what I'm seeing right here. But, but thank you. Thank you, sir. It's, it's fine. It's fine. It's a little cold out. I get it. It's fine. It's fine. So uh, first, uh, Tyler, and thank you guys so much for putting out just fantastic whiskey. Um, the Westland Fag flagship. I was telling, yeah. I was telling folks earlier, the Westland flagship is my go-to. If we're going out somewhere, I'm introducing friends. I have bourbon drinkers, scotch drinkers, people who have never had whiskey before. What am I reaching for? What are we bringing with us to the campground, to a friend's house? Westland flagship is, is a go-to for it. So thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, now, though, hopefully I can ingratiate you guys so I can ask you a really deep, nerdy question. <laughs> yes. Yeah, okay. So, uh, Tyler, you're just talking about having these 30-plus different types of malts that you guys have been working with. Um, are you thinking about or have you been playing with then the malting level of each of these barleys, too? Because you talk about this five-malt mash bill and then these different types of malts, different malt levels. Can we get into that word, that sort of deep nerdiness? Oh, God, yes, please. <laughs> Again, his favorite topic. Yeah, you've asked, like, a, a leading question into the coolest thing that I think Westland is doing right now. So malt modification has huge effects on flavor, basically how much of the malting process that kernel of raw barley goes through. If it's under-modified, meaning it hasn't gone through much of this starch the degradation of the cell walls. It's going to have lighter, grassier, fruitier, and floral flavors. If it's over-modified, meaning the, the proteins and the cell structure have been degraded through 
a heavy degree of modification through malting, you get more malty, bready, grainy, husky kind of flavors. And so we are thinking with uh, Dr. Steve Jones from the WSU Bread Lab a few years ago about what we can do in for uh, sustainable, sustainable future of, of, of barley production. And one of the things that they started kicking around was this idea of using mixed genetics in the field. Rather than distilling one variety, that is, you know, the whole entire 100 acres is all a genetic clone of itself, you distill, you have multiple varieties, hundreds or thousands of varieties in this field. And from a brewer's perspective, traditionally, that sounds fucking awful. Because coming off the field, you've got this crop now that is at different heights, so the, the farmer has to figure out how to, how to harvest that. But then the grain coming off the field is of different quality. Some might be overripe, some might be over underripe. And everything is going to go through this malting process, and you're going to get a spectrum of different flavors based off of the level of ripeness that that grain had at that given time. So we're super excited because that offers us an, uh, an exciting snapshot into the kind of vintage effect or terroir of that field in a given time in a way that no, no other circumstance can give. Because you're not really then saying, hey, maltster, deliver me a kernel of malt that meets this narrow range of specifications. I'm taking it with this range of specifications. And there's a broad range of flavors that are going to come across. And it's going to be unique to that field and that time. And the farmer is going to get a higher yield because when you you um, you have different genetics in the field, it's going to be less resistant to uh, threats from diseases or pests or uh, wind knocking it over. And so it's it's from the supply chain on up through the whiskey consumer, we think that there's a really exciting and compelling reason to go down this path of mixed genetics in the field. <laughs> <laughs> Two thumbs up from Philippe. <laughs> I'll ask another nerdy question if we hey. want. So, um, so we were talking about all these different casts that we've been exploring. Uh, the stuff that you've been doing in New American Oak afterwards, I know you've done the cask exchange, but the refills, the refill Westland inside Westland, how are those looking? Maybe, Anna, that's more towards you in the cask house, or what are you, what are you guys seeing with the, the refill Westlands, and what sort of flavors are you getting out of that? Yeah, we get a long, long use out of them, and we can refill them many, many times. Um, but I'd actually want to kick this one off to Anna because <laughs> why not? Oh boy. Uh, I mean, it's. Is your life really this awesome, Anna? <laughs> yes, it's amazing. I definitely don't <laughs> wrestle with spreadsheets all the time. Um, no, but our casks, because they're such high quality, we get a lot of good use out of them, of course. But there's a lot of good flavors there. A lot gets you know taken out in the first usage, of course. But reusing them allows us to have some of that cask influence come in, but also really let the spirit shine. So it's a really good usage for when we are doing something that's really unique, like something that's gonna go for Calare, so we have all these different varieties of barley. It's a good usage of that, so we can still let that sing without covering it up with too much oak. Beauty. So we've got, we've got time for one last question before we wrap it up, if anybody's got a question that, that's been burning. Oh, right, here we go, <laughs> Devin. Yeah, Devin. All right. <laughs> I'm probably going to get in trouble for this later. Well done. Jason's but not here. It's fine. Help, Jason. <laughs> help, help. Obviously, there's been some, uh, I don't know how much everybody's aware of it, but, you know, with all of the effort that Westland has put into not only finding a source of peat here in the United States and here in Washington, as we have with Solemn Edition 1, 
but we've also just recently grappled with the news that Skagit Valley Malting, one of the biggest uh, malting houses, craft malting in the Pacific Northwest has uh, gone bankrupt, collapsed. I don't really want to speak to why. Uh, I don't know. But where do you envision the hunt to continue? Do you start seeing solum encompassing floor maltings? Um, and how much value did you put on the commercial value of, of commercial peating that was being done at Skagit Valley Malting, making the, the process replicable? Terrific question. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is how we get out of here. <laughs> Shake the whole thing to its core. <laughs> yeah, way to come with some hard-hitting questions there, Devin. I appreciate that. Um, so, yeah, Skagit Valley Malting. Our, our friends there uh, don't have a malt house in operation right now, and that's a huge bummer because we've been sourcing... Uh, the peated malt from them since 2016 and malt from them in general since 2014. And they've been a huge partner with us in the exploration of new varieties, uh, but also this, this wonderful peated project that we've got going on. So we're fortunate enough that we've put in a, a, away quite a bit of the peated whiskey. Um, we have hundreds and hundreds of barrels of it made with local peat. So we can, we've bought ourselves some time to to blend and make releases for the near future while Skagit Valley malting or whoever um, may or may not revive it kind of figures out what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, but in the meantime, I've certainly been scrambling. That's unfortunately one of the more fun parts of my job is like trying to figure out the, the machinations of like how to get this thing to still make whiskey, even if our suppliers are, are evaporating overnight. Um, and I, got, I was talking to um, a malt house out in uh, where Utah that that is harvesting local Utah peat. Wow. Um, there's malt houses all over the country that are really excited and interesting in in trying to work with us. And you know, it's it's all about trying to find that right fit, or if it's a right fit for Weston to go beyond the Washington border for that kind of project. We haven't had to kind of jump the gun, uh, so to speak, or or sprint to that uh, conclusion because. Frankly, we've just got so much whiskey in stock that we're we're kind of just being patient right now. But I'm pretty confident that something will be revived out of that 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 scene, and we'll we'll have peat flowing through uh, soon enough. So it's 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 a challenge. It's unfortunate, but we've got uh, actually a couple different malt houses too that are interested in. If I can send peat around the country, they'll they'll malt and smoke it for us. Okay. They're pretty ready and engaged. But again, I don't want to ship grain out of the state and ship peat and then yeah. have it shipped back. Yeah. It just, that doesn't play with yeah. who Westland is. Mm -hmm. So we'll try to work with developing the supply chain locally first and then beyond if we need to. Can we write letters to Remy to take on Skagit Valley Maltings? Write all the letters you can. My people, <laughs> write letters to Remy, please, please. <laughs> But also to be clear, that wasn't our only supplier just of malt in general. They focused on our peated. But I know this is this has come up in the podcast, so I wanted to address <laughs> this here. Uh, so Tyler, would you uh, like to talk about any of the other malt houses that we work with for other barleys? Yeah, yeah. So Skagit Valley was certainly philosophically probably our most important partner sure. over the past years, but uh, Country Malt Group, who owns Great Western Malt House out of Vancouver, Washington, is the largest 
malt house in the region, and okay. they have always supplied the bulk of, of the grain that we source. Okay. So uh, from that sourcing perspective and keeping the, the stills warm, there's been kind of no threat of of yeah. raw material shortage here. Yep. And then we've also got, on the other half of the state, Link Malt, who's been a craft malt house since about 2016 or so. And we've been sourcing some really high quality grains from them. Okay. And then like almost the same week, serendipitously enough that Skagit Valley caved, Cascadia Malt House out of Northern Spokane opened up their doors for the first time. Uh, so we've got a okay. few craft houses in the region to supply us with okay. interesting projects. Okay. Perish the thought we worry Anna with our commentary on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> she's taking notes. <laughs> she, she's taking names and not prisoners. I feel... That's why I'm glad she's on my team. <laughs> <laughs> so Gariana ate absolutely fantastic whiskey. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. fantastic, right? Thank you so much for, for staying committed to something that might seem like something you shouldn't stay committed to. <laughs> does, it, does that make sense? Like it, it, it brings on flavors that people aren't used to, but here you are working with it, working with these flavors to present to people in ways that are quite interesting, quite unique. And I've got, well, I've, I have one through seven at home. Now I'm gonna have one through eight at home, and I can't wait till I have one through ten, and then I'll do a, a side by side by side by side by side by side by side run by side by side by side by side. Yep, there we go. Um, and thank you so much for giving us this time and this space to be to be with you both, and to be with everybody here. Absolutely. Uh, you know, as as part of this live podcast podcast, and thank you all for for joining us. Jason, did, is there any closing words you wanted to, to add here before I close us out? No, it's just really fucking cool. It's great to see your faces. We missed you all during COVID, and here we are staring the eyeballs again. Nah, this is brilliant. This is why we do what we do. Real treat. Cheers, Anna. Cheers, Tyler. Cheers, group. Cheers, Jess. Thank you. Cheers, Jess. Joshy. Right. Cheers, Jason. All right. All right. Cheers, everybody. Cheers, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you so again. Good night. You're all wonderful.